Hey guys, it's Jeff here. Just wanted to give you a quick little update before you actually start listening to the show. We recorded this on Wednesday night, uh, November 30th. Um, and at that time, Scott Frost um, had not yet addressed the uh, Oregon situation. Well, it turns out that the next day, uh, literally just a couple hours after we released the show, Scott Frost came out and in an impromptu press conference at UCF, uh, said he is happy right here at UCF. He's not going to leave for Oregon, so effectively taking himself out of consideration for the Oregon coaching job. So um, obviously we do touch upon that in this show, but it was before all that went down, so I just wanted to give you a heads up. And here's the quote from Scott Frost, um, and this is courtesy of Brandon Helwig at UCFsports.com. Quote, I'm not a candidate for Oregon. I'm happy right here. This is where I want to be. I started something here. I feel like we've taken a lot of steps to getting this program at the top of this league. I want to see that through here. I'm really happy here, and I have no intention of leaving here anytime soon. So take of that what you will. So at least for the time being, it sounds like Scott Frost is going to be staying at UCF. So um, that doesn't mean you should just delete the show outright. We talk about a lot of stuff, especially having to do with the uh, bowl projections and Willie Taggart maybe going to Oregon. But uh, at least the Scott Frost uh, aspect of the Oregon head coaching search story seems to be uh, seems to have been put to bed at least for the moment. All right, let's get to the show. What's up, night fans? Hope you're still full from Thanksgiving. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, along with Eric Lopez. I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for joining us as we. Head into the month of December, Eric. How quickly has 2016 gone, man? In some cases, too fast, because that means the football season's done. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. I know. The we're already bowl- talking about bowl games this coming weekend. is the conference championship weekend. I mean, it's, it makes me sad, you know, because this is, you know, we had rivalry weekend last week, which we'll talk about on the podcast, UCF uh, going down to USF, uh, and a little bit, and a couple things to talk about with that game. Uh, we'll also talk about um, some bowl projections for UCF and uh, where the Knights might go in their bowl games. Uh, we'll talk about men's and women's basketball. We'll talk about the Oregon job opening up and what that might mean for Scott Frost as well. So lots to talk about this uh, uh, on the show on this edition of the show uh, today. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. We're also on Facebook at Black and Gold Banneret. You can subscribe to the podcast via. Uh, iTunes via Google Play and also via SoundCloud, which is where we host our podcast as well. And uh, uh, what else do we have? Oh, uh, we also also don't forget to subscribe to our site for a newsletter where uh, Eric and I once in a while will write something interesting that you might be interested in finding out. Like, Eric, your uh, television ratings from the, the basketball weekend, which went up last weekend and uh, – uh, we're actually recording this right after the uh, UCF defeating Stetson in a uh, matchup of some old rivals on the basketball floor. We'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. But we start with football and uh, UCF wrapping up the regular season at 6-6, six and six, uh, but losers of their last two, and it was going to be tough, wasn't it, Eric? Because uh, you go down to USF, this is coming off of the loss to Tulsa. Tulsa, very good, second in the West um, at home. That was going to be a tough one no matter what. Uh, then you go down to Tampa. First time they're playing for the um, for the trophy in the war on I-4. The Knights have already clinched a bowl game, but uh, 48-31 the final in Tampa. And this was a, this was a tough one, Eric, because uh, in the fourth quarter, it looked like things were starting to get interesting. 
the Knights uh, uh, were down, uh, f- uh, what was it, 41 to 31 with 250 to go. Or excuse me, let me go, let me s- skip back a little bit. Third quarter, Taj McGowan's touchdown run cut it to 31 24. And we're thinking, okay. This might be, you know, the, now it's getting tight because USF was up 24-7 in the second quarter, but then things just kind of unraveled. So at 2.55 to go in the third quarter, Knights are down, Eric, 31-24, and they have the ball and can't get anything going on offense. They have to punt the ball away uh, at the 35 Um and uh, and USF gets the ball back. We go into the fourth, and you know Quentin Flowers, who by the way ended up being the um, they they started running off some clock. UCF got the ball back, uh, but then they have to punt again down seven in the er- early in the fourth. Um, then there was a late. F- then USF moves the ball down the field again. They miss a field goal off the upright, and we're thinking, okay, third time's the charm here. About 10 minutes to go in the game. Knights are down seven. And then Mackenzie Milton uh, throws an interception uh, on, a, at, uh, it was on a first down play from the UCF 39. Uh, that was an absolute killer because it gave USF the short field right after they'd missed the field goal that would have put them up two scores. Next play, Quentin Flowers runs the ball in from 24 yards out for what basically was the game-ending touchdown. That made it 38-24. to 24. Uh, And then next possession, first play for UCF from their own 15, Milton throws another interception. So two consecutive throws result in interceptions for McKenzie Milton. And that was pretty much it. From there, uh, it was another touchdown for, or excuse me, there was a field goal for USF. They were up 41-24. That was pretty much it. Um this was a, this was a tough one, Eric, because I felt you know I, watching this game as I know you did, you were down there. Um, yeah. The Knights had their chances in this game, didn't they? They really did, actually, and that was it was a pretty interesting game. I think uh, UCF definitely had some chances. They got off to a good start in the game with the opening drive with a touchdown to take the lead, seven to nothing. You know, USF kind of broke some plays off the edge with Marlon Mack, and then the, in early in the third quarter with Quentin Flowers, but. You know, UCF hung in there, uh, and I even go back to the second quarter where UCF had the ball. If you remember the the sequence, they they got the trick play for the touchdown, Jeff, to get it with I believe it was what twenty four fourteen at the time. Uh, yeah, it was twenty four fourteen after uh, after and the then, uh, touchdown to, the touchdown pass from Tristan yeah. Payton to Traquan Correct. Smith, a seventy two yarder, well designed play, and then they had the onside kick. Uh, that they recovered, only to find out on the replay that the the there was you know they had a player on, out of bounds, so USF got the ball, but then USF fumbled the ball, and UCF got the ball back. They drove into USF territory, and Scott Frost decided to go for it on fourth down a couple times, and instead of kicking the field goal before the half, and it, they didn't convert on the last fourth down of that drive. Uh, otherwise, I thought they could have gotten for the field goal and maybe yeah. cut it to seven. I was surprised. That was a, with that. that was a little bit too. That was the first time. I thought all season that, okay, Scott Frost is being a little too aggressive here. Maybe. Um, but they were right there. And then, like you mentioned, uh, UCF got it within 31-24. Really had the momentum there. I mean, I, I, I do know. three times down seven. Yeah. 
and and I know they had you. I know some of the people I was around, USF people, were kind of surprised. I think were a little nervous. Uh, they weren't expecting that. Uh, unfortunately, as you mentioned, Mackenzie Melton with the uh, interception that kind of was the backbreaker there a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that happened. Yeah. And, and Scott Frost said that in the post game afterwards that when you're playing at the situation that they're in, you have to take advantage of your breaks. You cannot give them opportunities if you expect to win. And that's what happened. So, you know, I thought it was a pretty good game, actually. Uh, I look at it as, as someone who has was there last year at Thanksgiving when in that debacle, 44-3. to three, uh, I think it was a pretty positive step. And I think the positive is, look, I think you showed you could play with South Florida. This is their best team arguably ever in South Florida football. Ten wins for the first time in school history at, over there in Tampa. And I think the guys they hung still in haven't the, won the division. <laughs> yeah, it stinks for them. Um and so they I thought they hung in there and, and it was something that Scott Frost said in the postgame too that was telling, you know, I, a lot of these guys are tired. This team doesn't have a lot of depth. And like that defense in particular, guys on that defense, you I, I thought they looked tired at times, didn't they, Jeff? I mean, you watched it on yeah. TV. I was there. Some missed tackles that you didn't see earlier in the year. I mean, this group is tired. They've left it all on the field. Uh, the lack of depth, I think, caught up with them a little bit. And so it is what it is. Um, you know, it was a good game. It, it, to me, it was a 10-point game margin. I, I, it, and I don't know if you want to get in, how much you want to get into the last touchdown and nonsense that was going on there. But uh, I thought it was a competitive 10-point game. And I think you got something to build on for next year. Obviously, Mackenzie Milton, uh, I thought he played better. Than he has the last couple of weeks, but he's still making those mistakes. And I think certainly, uh, you know, what we're I'm sure one of the focal points going into next season is going to be, you know, he's got to improve on his mechanics. Maybe put on some weight, some bulk yeah. up a little bit, get stronger and, uh, you know, see what happens between now and you know, the start of next season I, for him. You know, I was, I was a little disappointed, um, at, some of the UCF fans out there who uh, towards the end of the game were throwing Scott Frost under the bus for, <laughs> for complaining, for, for leaving Milton in there and say, why didn't we go to Justin Holman? Well, they brought, they brought in Holman. They, they brought him in, but by then it was too little too late. And, and they were thinking, oh, just bring in the senior for a change of pace. You know, and, I, and I'm like, don't you see what's been going on? I went back and I looked at the, at the numbers for the season. And I and I know people are going to be like, "Oh, Jeff, with his numbers again." I'm. I, listen, the numbers don't lie. Okay, Mackenzie Milton this year uh, has thrown uh, has completed fifty eight percent of his passes. Justin Holman, in six games played, has completed forty three. He's done most of his damage rushing. Justin Holman did. He's got. He's thrown one touch. Excuse me, three touchdowns, two picks. And my thought on that was, if Justin Holman was good enough to take the job away from Mackenzie Milton, he would have done it. But he didn't. That's why Justin Holman was on the bench. It wasn't a matter of, well, Frost is being loyal to his guy to a fault. It's because Justin Holman can't run this offense the way Mackenzie Milton can. Justin Holman, Holman, you know, when he goes back to throw, he checks first and third and then winds up and fires. That you can't do that in this offense. You got to get the ball out quick. That's what McHil- that's what Milton does, and he's just a square peg in a round hole. Now, 
for Justin's sake, I hope he does get a look. I mean, he's a senior. Yeah, and I hope he does get a look by uh, from some NFL teams because boy, he has the he has all the the measurables of a classic NFL pro style quarterback, doesn't he? Big strong arm, he can move around in the pocket, uh, but hit that that arm is a weapon of his, and uh, I hope he gets a look. May, you know, maybe in the draft. I don't know if he's going to go to the combine or not, but whatnot. But but the, with the way the system was was working. It just wasn't going to happen. And put Mackenzie Milton in there and, and let him take his lumps. Boy, did he ever this season, right? So I'm fine with him sticking with Mackenzie Milton because that's the only way that this kid's going to get better. And next year, we're going to see the fruits of that labor, I believe. What do you think? Well, there's a couple things there. Uh, yes, obviously, yes. There's no real purpose to go into the senior quarterback and starting him when he's not going to be back next year. So you want to get his, your friend, the kid that's going to be back next year as many reps as you can. So I agree with all that. I think Milton should have been the start of the, you know, I don't think that Holman should have, you know, been put back in as a start or anything like that. I will bring up this. Yeah. Yeah. But I will bring up a couple things. Why do you think he did put in Holman? in that South Florida game there with about, what was it, like four or five minutes to go, and it was 41-24. And I remember because I was down on the field, and I was uh, standing next to my, our good friend, Brandon Helwick, UCSports.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, 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 you know, as that drive was going on, you know, home, he brought in Holman quickly. And boom, 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 they had that quick drive, and they quick for quick passes and hit the touchdown. And I and I and I Against told the like, second team, of course. And I but I, I told Brandon like, all right, yep, that's your message board's about to blow up there. <laughs> yeah, you know. But I, but um, I was why bring him in there? Uh, because I actually thought if you were going to bring in Holman in relief, that to the time to do it was that Tulsa game in the second half at home on senior night. When you needed a spark a little bit there, and he didn't do it then, and he defended him, you know, the decision afterwards. So I was surprised that he would have he brought him in uh, at the end of that South Florida game for a couple drives, and he looked good in that first drive. And then as as you, uh, but you know, the, the fans that are clamoring for Holman will is conveniently forget that after that touchdown drive, he got pressured and sacked, and yeah. you know things like that. So, but 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 I, I was I was surprised that he brought in Holman there. Um, at that point when you didn't bring him in against Tulsa or even uh, in that game. So what, 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 what do you, what, how do you rationale that decision process in bringing Holman in there at that point when you chose not to do that against Tulsa when he, you know, the week earlier, I would say two things. Number one, it's garbage time. Game is basically over. Number two, don't get Mackenzie Milton hurt. You know, he, he'd been taking a beating throughout the game. Really, he's been taking a beating throughout the season. Enough is enough. You know, don't, don't let and, – and in a rivalry game, when you know that late in the game they're up two, three scores, they're going to start teeing off on your guy. You know, I, I mean, why, why, why risk it at that point? Because you know he's going to be running around trying to make a play and, uh, and, and, and may potentially get himself killed. And Holman is smart enough not to do that. Now that also may be an argument for maybe bringing Holman in earlier, but um, but still, you you stick with your guy, right? I, like, yeah. And my thing is, I'm not like I said, I'm okay if he decides to bring him in for a spark. Now, and, and I agree with you though. I I wouldn't have started like if you brought in Holman against Tulsa, for example, I would not have started him the following week. I would use him more as oh, a yeah, relief, no. right? 
because he's a he's a he's a he is a better right now down the field passer than Mackenzie Milne at this point. Uh, and so why not when you're behind, you take a shot with Holman who can at least go vertically deep and maybe try to get you back in a game with a quick score like he did in that one drive. I yeah. agree. Look, at the end of the day, I agree with you. I don't think I think people are overreacting to it, um, exaggerating it. Uh, I don't think that Justin Holman. It's funny how people quickly forget that they not watch McKenzie uh, Justin Holman last year or at the beginning right. of this year when he struggled. I mean, especially this year, he was. I mean, he struggled uh, really just, bad. Was, I mean, God bless him. He was just flat out bad at times this year. I mean, Correct. it was. It, so, there was no. There was no. I mean, remember back in the South Carolina State game, he was really struggling throwing the ball. And then Nick Patty came in for a little bit, and people were like, whoa, 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 what do we have here? Nick Patty moving the ball. What? Let's leave him right. in there. And then all of a sudden, everyone has a really short memory, don't they? They do. So I, 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 I don't have a problem with bringing up the why not bring him in for a spark, because he is a better vertical passer right now than McKenzie. And then and, and I will say that there's something to be said. I remember you know, Bobby Bowden used to do this with Charlie Ward. Uh, in his uh, the year before his Heisman Trophy in '92, where yep. when Charlie would struggle, he would pull him from the game for a series or two just to get a different look. George O'Leary used to do that at Georgia Tech, actually. Yeah. Uh, there, so there are Joe coaches Hamilton that, and then uh, George Godsey. George Godsey, absolutely. Where you take him out for a series or two, you put in the, the backup for a series or two, and then you bring him back in. Uh, so I would not even have had a problem with that if you decided to do that. And again, I go back to the Tulsa game more than just because I felt like senior night. I thought they needed a spark in that second half when that game started getting away. And he, and he shows obviously he disagreed. It's not a big deal. Um, but so I wouldn't have to have a problem with that if you want to take the kid out for a series or two and say, hey, look, you know, take a look and stuff. But that being said, I think. The, the difference is, as I bring up the Bowden, the, the reason why the Bowden example is a bad one is Danny Cannell, as we as he, we found out later, obviously was a tremendous quarterback himself. And with respect to Justin Holman, uh, he's not the guy. He, like you said, he had a, if he was lighting the world on fire, either at practice or before the season, they wouldn't be in this predicament. Right. Uh, and remember, and people forget he had his chance in the East Carolina game. Remember when McKenzie Milton was hurt, it turns out. And he didn't start uh, – got hurt in the FIU game, and he didn't play against East Carolina, and Holman started that game. I think if Holman uh, would have played well, for example, and done some great things, then maybe we're having a different conversation. But he struggled in that game. So it's not like Justin didn't have a chance. It's not like Scott Frost didn't uh, you know, uh, completely took him out of the picture. There were opportunities there, and he just wasn't good enough. And – He's not, you know, he's not going to be back on this team next year because he's graduating. So it's not like if he was a sophomore and he was coming back, then I might hear the argument better because, you know, those guys are going to compete against each other anyway next year. Mm -hmm. But he's not coming back. So what how does that help your program next season? Uh, I, that part I don't agree with. I don't understand the rationale there as well uh, as far as people are clamoring for the change there. Yeah. Well, nonetheless, the Knights finished the season at 500, which – Let's let's stand back for just a hot second here and admire the fact that UCF got to 500 the year after going 0-12, which, again, I've gone back and I've looked at the history. Last, last team in FBS to go to a bowl game the year after going winless was UCF in 2005 after O'Leary's first year. 
And the fact that Scott Frost was able to get these kids to buy in as quickly as he did is really a testament to the job that he was able to do here. And so, um, yeah, I, I, you got to you got to hand it to him. You got to hand it to him and the entire coaching staff for getting this team to this point. I, I, I mean, it's. It, I went back and I looked at it, man. There's a lot of teams that go winless, and the next year they win maybe one or two games. Things really implode after a winless season. But the Knights were able to rally around the new coach, and now um, they're heading to a bowl game. Speaking of which, we don't know which bowl game UCF is going to just yet. Uh, On the UCF uh, schedule right now on their website, it says Sunday, December 4th, bowl announcement. Don't know what time. Uh, Don't know where we're going. But if you look at the bowl projections around, um, there are a couple of interesting options. Um, I'm going to pull up some of them here. But really, the, the bowl projections, that, depending on where you look, you know, maybe, it's, uh, you know, maybe it's CBS, Jerry Palm, or, uh, or, or Stuart Mandel over at Fox, or uh, the guys over at ESPN, Brett McMurphy, and, and, um, and uh, I forget who else is. Uh, oh, Schleyball. Yeah, Schleyball yeah. doing doing that as well. Depending on where you look, UCF is likely going to one of two places. Either one, the AutoNation Cure Bowl, which is here in Orlando uh, on Saturday, December the 17th, televised on CBS Sports Network, by the way. Or the Miami Beach Bowl, which is scheduled for Monday, December the 19th, uh, on ESPN at 2.30 p.m. Now, um, a note on the Cure Bowl. It would be the American versus the Sun Belt. Nice would likely be pay- playing somebody like South Alabama um, or Louisiana Lafayette. By the way, both of those teams under 500 heading into this weekend. Uh, or the Miami Beach Bowl against a MAC team. So that could be somebody like Toledo or Ohio I've seen um, actually projected out there. But let me ask you this, Eric Lopez. What do you think is the best option. Where do you think the Knights are going to go? I don't know whether, I mean, that's a loaded question. I don't know what the best option are. It depends on what your preferences are. Um, well, let me ask you this. If you're, if you're Scott Frost, where do you want to go? <laughs> uh, if I'm Scott Frost, I would probably would have loved to have gone to the Bahamas, right? Just hang out at the Bahamas. Now that's not let, going to happen. It's already me, been filled. Let me make, that's let me make the, the case for Miami beach. If you're Scott Frost. Sure. A lot of recruits down in South Florida. Yeah. And, you, and you're going to be on ESPN. All right. Even though it's 2.30 p.m. on a Monday, you're going to be on ESPN. People are going to watch that game. You can bring your recruits in from, you know, Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach. Bring them on down to, uh, to Marlins Park and say, hey, come watch our team play. You're going to play against a mediocre MAC team. You can really unload the offense. You're going to have an extra three weeks of practice leading up to that game. Um, just let it fly and and go to where you were. I, I don't see, I don't see where the Cure Bowl and, and you know God bless. It's run by Alan Gooch, who you know obviously former UCF coach, former UCF player, um, has been just about everywhere. Uh, I mean, it's on CBS Sports Network. It's going to be against a mediocre Sunbelt team, and you're already at home. I, I think that the, if you're the coaching staff, the upside is the uh, Miami Beach Bowl. If you're a fan, however, you want the Cure Bowl because that means you can go down to the Citrus Bowl and see the game, no? I think uh, the coaching staff will be happy either way because you know why they're going to be happy either way because they get the 15 practices, honestly. That's true. That's right. 
So let's, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, everything else is what it is. I mean, the, the big thing is they're going to get extra practices out of this uh, because you know what? You can easily bring recruits into Orlando because at some point you're going to, no matter, yeah, you can talk about the South Florida recruits. At some point you got to bring them up here anyway and show the campus. So you mm-hmm. can, you can, you know, you can do whatever with all that things. Um, I think your best argument why, you know, there's back and forth on this. It's going to be, let's just clear this up. It's going to be either Miami Beach or the Cure Bowl. I'd be shocked if it was any other bowl game. Um, I agree. So the advantages of the Cure Bowl is obviously it's in your backyard, which, as you know this, having worked there and, and you were a part of the traveling party for the uh, St. Pete back in 09. Yep. Uh, there is a cost factor here from a university standpoint, from a traveling standpoint, that does take into effect where that would not be a factor if the game is here in Orlando as opposed to Miami Beach. Yeah, and some of these uh, lesser bowls, they don't foot the bill for you to for you to for you to drive yeah, or fly and, down and there. Go into can you go into because you know this. You you were part of the party uh back in the 09 uh St. Pete Bowl when UCF played Rutgers, and we'll get into St. Pete later. <laughs> Apparently they're in the headlines. UCF fans not as big a uh, deal there, but uh and you were the host uh, of the coverage there leading up to that game. I believe it was Bowl by the Bay, right? Uh, Bowl was by the, the Bay. The, so tell the audience, because I think this is a very interesting perspective that doesn't get brought up. We'll get to the fan side of it. But from a university standpoint, there is a cost factor from a bowl game standpoint. For example, I don't think UCF is – I think UCF is relieved that they're not going to the Bahamas because that would have been a uh, – from a from a pa- getting kids to get their passports and traveling and flights. It, it's a lot of stuff, whereas – you know, I think at least they're going to be in the state. They'll be all right. But there is a cost difference between Orlando and traveling to a bowl game, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you could you could just sleep in your own bed. I mean, you don't have, I mean, they'll probably they might let them, uh, you know, go to the hotel and be a part of that. But the travel costs um, are another situation entirely, because, you know, when we went to St. Pete, um, there was the big bus convoy um, and you had to, you know, sort of bus everything around. Um, I think that if UCF did go to the Cure Bowl, they would just a- end up staying in a hotel in order to to let the kids be a part of like the whole bowl experience. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but I would imagine that that's what they would do. I-, I will say this: you know, we talked about bowl payouts. I was just quickly searching out college bowl game payouts, um, and the latest I could find was 2015. The per team payout. For the St. Pete Bowl, this is as of 2015, was $537,500. That's not a lot. because In fact, it's, it, it will only, in some cases, it won't even cover, depending on how far you're traveling from, it won't even cover your entire stay. When you factor right. in the hotel rooms, the gifts that the kids get, the putting on the events and all that kind of stuff. Um, right. The Miami Beach Bowl pays out one million dollars per team. Now that's worth considering. Uh, the the Cure Bowl paid out uh, in twenty fifteen. This is interesting. Twenty fifteen, it paid out one point three five million per team. So that's something that UCF's administration is going to is going to have to consider. You know, Danny White and mm-hmm. uh, so you could get more money by st- so you could get more money staying in town. As as of 2015, right. yeah, it may have Even, changed this year, but as of sure. the 2015 bowl payments, yeah, I was actually surprised to see that the Cure Bowl does pay more than Miami Beach and well, and St. Pete. Right. 
And, and the other factor is UCF is responsible for selling bowl tickets. Yes, both so, teams are. So. Uh, correct. So, in other words, let's be honest. If you're UCF, it's going to be a lot easier to sell your fan base, hey, go out to what was formerly known as the Citrus Bowl. Uh, it's now Camping World. I, you know, it's when they the want to pay me the – when they want to pay me the sponsorship, I'll be more than happy to call it. <laughs> I know. But let's be honest. It's going to be a lot easier on a Saturday, uh, 5.30 kick. Yep. You, could, I, you can use the nostalgic storyline, right? I mean, it's been it, it would have been basically 10 years since UCF had played the last game there yep. at that stadium. So it's an easy way. To, you know, I can, I can see it now, and you know the people involved. The UCF video department will pump up some video highlights of UCF playing back yeah, we'll, in the day. We'll dust the off the floor. old Betamax tapes. and uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> so it's an easier ticket sell, and you could probably sell your allotment very easily and then some, and you know maybe even come out on the plus side. Whereas if you go to Miami Beach – how are you going to get UCF fans to come down to Miami Beach to play to go to a game on a Monday afternoon at two? What, the, what time the kickoff? Thirty thirty p.m. Eastern. The Monday before Christmas. Right. Before Christmas, which uh, let's be honest, a lot of people are going to take the time off the following weekend. So from a work standpoint, it's going to be hard for people to get out of work and go down to Miami Beach a week before Christmas. So. There's some logistics there that would not favor UCF from a business standpoint. However, in fairness to your point, Miami Beach game will be on that four-letter network, Mm -hmm. whereas the other one will be on CBS Sports Network and with respect. And we have friends that work at CBS Sports Network. We had Dave Ryan on last week, um, you know, and I watch that channel a lot uh, and enjoy their coverage. But they're not the four-letter network. That game too, by the way, he is. Uh, I believe he would do it, so we're cool with that. Uh, I believe so. I think Jenny Dell will do sideline. That's the only – and Corey Chavis will be the – yeah. But it's not the four-letter network, right? And, and from an exposure standpoint, people flip to that channel and will watch that game. They will watch that game. Um, so it's also worth noting, Jeff, that ESPN and the American Conference co-own that Miami Beach Bowl. Uh-huh. So they have a vested interest. I don't know if part people are really that aware of that. A lot of these bowl games are in partnership with ESPN and certain conferences. And a lot of uh, them are owned outright by ESPN. Correct. The St. Pete Bowl is actually owned by ESPN. It's part of correct. ESPN events. And there are several others that are also, I think, you know, the correct. New Orleans Bowl. I'll have to go back and look at which right. ones are. But ESPN, people forget that this is basically the reason why these 40 bowl games exist is to give the ESPN family and networks programming. Right. And that's the thing. It's fun. Exactly. You nailed it 100%. Where well, these fans are complaining about, why is this game with 2.30 Monday? You know why? Because ESPN wants that game on that Monday in the afternoon right before uh, the pregame for Monday Night Football. It's all about programming. And you're absolutely right. They don't really care about the attendance. Now, the American does for that bowl game. Right. But – I mean, sure, you want some ticket sales, but in reality, it's about the television, you know, putting the game on for television and trying to make it as attractive. So if you're ESPN and you're the American Conference and you're watching the Miami Beach Bowl, which one do you think is going to look better? If UCF is playing in that game with fans from the state of Florida or Tulsa, for example, what are the odds? Um, yeah, especially if you that, know who you're playing against. If yeah, you're playing against like sure. Toledo or somebody, like right? That. Right. So that's the, that's the challenge with all this stuff behind the scenes, and who knows what's going to happen. There's always back channeling negotiations going on. You mentioned one of the reasons is ESPN owns a lot of these bowl games, so in reality, they can do whatever they want. I've been told from sources 
you know, not not UCF related, not conference related. Let's just clear that up. Don't send any angry emails and texts. Everyone, calm down. Just but but I've been told, for, for example, second. I've been told that for example, Houston wants to play in the Las Vegas Bowl to play Boise State because that's an a an attractive matchup. B that game is on December 17th. They've got an interim coach right now with Todd Orlando. They only have four assistant coaches right now because the rest of the staff is in Austin. So they want to get their season done as quickly as possible and have an attractive game that, that's interesting to them. And, you know, so we'll see if that happens or not. So just because, because I know a lot of people look, looked at the fact that the Bahamas Bowl filled their slots with um, – non-American conference teams. And a lot of people are like, whoa, well, that's a sign that UCF's definitely now going to the Cure Bowl. No, 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 no. Just because there's seven slots for the American conference right now in those seven bowls doesn't mean that an American conference team could, in theory, be flipped to another bowl game because there's a slot that opened in that bowl game because that bowl game's uh, team, that the conference that was supposed to go there, didn't fill out you know, the requirements, you know, they didn't have enough teams eligible. And right. I believe I looked it up. The Las Vegas bowl is one of those bowls that it looks like will not uh, have, will have a slot open. And so that's, what's going to happen with these things is for, and it's why I don't do projections anymore because it's almost <laughs> a losing bat. No, it really is. It's a losing. I, I feel sorry for like my friend, Brant Parsons, that's a heck of a job with the Orlando settle Sentinel, but it's a, he's got a losing battle because He's going to do these projections, and the fans get on his case about why are you putting this there? Why are you doing this? This, First and then of all, when it as does, though Brant has control over that, right, <laughs> right, and then they're going to give him a hard time on Sunday. Like, for example, if if, Look if, what if you it got happen- wrong, I'm like, what are right. you doing? You know, right? Like, how is he supposed to know that Houston all of a sudden worked out a deal and they ended up in Las Vegas? Like, nobody could predict that kind of stuff unless, or if UCF ended up, you know, let's say hypothetically, UCF ended up somehow in Birmingham. How did that? How do you pre- how, did, how the heck did that happen? You know, there's always back channels that are going on. Um, so I would caution people about that. So keep that in mind. I, you know, I, I see both sides to the story. I'm biased uh, from the standpoint of, yes, I would prefer them to play in Orlando to help Alan Gooch out it, it mm-hmm. play one more time in that stadium. You and I have broadcasted games there, gone to a bunch of UCF games in that stadium. So I think it'd be cool. I think cool. it would be fun. For UCF people, it would be a lot of fun. Correct. Um, so I think it'd be great, and I think it would help that bowl game a lot. But on the other hand, I understand the other side of the coin, and I wouldn't be surprised if UCF ends up in Miami Beach as well. Uh, so it is what it is. Um, it, it should you know, be noted, that, uh, ESPN owned bowl games. You ready for this? Here you go. Armed Forces, Birmingham, Bahamas, Boca Raton, Camellia Celebration, Idaho Potato, Hawaii, Heart of Dallas, Las Vegas, New Mexico, St. Pete, and Texas. Not entirely owned by ESPN events is the Miami Beach Bowl. Because the Americans involved in that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and obviously the Cure Bowl, which is, which is put on separately. So, Correct. Um, one other thing that is going to complicate things is what happens with Navy. Now, Navy won the West in, uh, in the American. They're going to play for the conference championship uh, this coming weekend against, um, against Temple. Temple in the AAC championship came for the second straight year. Navy ranked. Um, and then, lest we forget, they've got one more game to play after the American Athletic Conference championship against Army the following week, which yeah. is – which is a screwy little quirk in this. Because I remember when the Army-Navy game used to be the same 
day as the conference championship games. And then correct. They moved it away to get more attention. Yeah, they moved it back a week to give it more attention. But now it has complicated everything because Navy. Well, Navy might might even be in line for a shot at one of the access bowls. Correct. If they win the conference and obviously assuming that they beat Army and. There's a lot of dominoes that have yet to fall, depending upon what Navy does, because like we said, they've got two more games left on the schedule. And what's funny is this was brought up a year ago when Navy joined the American Conference, and they kind of scoffed at it. Ah, yeah. Ah, this will never happen. We won't ever have to worry about that. Correct. Oops. And guess what? Here we are. Navy's ranked 19th. And here's the thing that's got to be nerve-wracking. Navy jumped up to 19th in the latest poll yeah. of the college football playoff ranking. Western Michigan is 17. There's not a big gap there. Um, who's to Western say? Western Michigan's undefeated. Correct. Um, and and I'm, I know I'm in the minority of this. I'm a, I don't admit I'm a little biased, but I think the American Conference is a superior conference to the MAC. Uh, I think they have separated themselves from the MAC and the Mountain West. I, I think the league is tremendous from a football standpoint. Really has exceeded – expectations for people to forget when the American conference was created in 2013, I think everybody was under the belief that basketball would be the flagship sport for the league. And while basketball has done well, football has been really much better. Four teams in the top 25 last year. You had UCF winning the Fiesta Bowl against Baylor in the first year as the Mm -hmm. representative. You had Houston last year representing in the Peach Bowl, beating Florida State. Four teams in the top 25, as I mentioned last year. Finally, this uh, this weekend, you got two teams ranked in the top 25. I think they got the wrong second team in the top 25. I think Temple should be ranked in the top 25. I'm with you on that, Not, and we've talked uh, about so, that before, yeah. Sorry, so uh, I think if Western Michigan loses, definitely if Western Michigan loses, I think there's a strong chance that the winner of the Temple-Navy game ends up in Arlington for the Cotton Bowl and I would not be surprised if there's some people in that committee that think the Navy should be in anyway over Western Michigan, even if Western Michigan won. When you consider the fact that Navy has beaten Houston, uh, they, 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 you know, they, they, they've won the American Conference, which is a stronger league, as I mentioned. I don't think that's going to happen. I think if Western Michigan wins, they will get the bid, especially undefeated. It's going to be tough to ignore. But if they Fleck, won, man. I think there's a lot of bowl people – that are rooting for Western Michigan to win, yeah, or against uh, they're, they're going to be playing against uh, Ohio, and they're a heavy favorite. But Ohio's hot. Favorite, yeah. Ohio's one in six. They started the year one in six, won their last five to win that division. Frank Solich, former Nebraska coach, there. That's right. He's but been if Ohio, a long time now. If, if Ohio pulls the upset, there's going to be a lot of nervous people in the bowls in the bowl games, and they'll probably be rooting for Temple in that scenario <laughs> to upset Navy because they're they're going to have. Uh, it could be a very awkward situation because you're right. It affects a lot of yeah, bowl there's a games. Lot of, there's a lot of down ballot races, as they like to say. That are well, gonna and it's going to hurt. It could hurt. Right. It could, I mean, it could hurt like the Cure Bowl, for example, because if Navy's involved and they decide to push, wait till after the Navy game, then the Cure Bowl may not know who's playing in that game until a week before the game. Right. Uh, you know, and that's tough. So. Same thing with a lot, you know, a lot of other bowl games. So um, I'm surprised that they have been so lazy about this that he kind of blew it off last year, and it's kind of blown in their face. So I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of rooting for this well, to happen. Just be, I'm rooting for this to happen 
just because uh, I just like to see this thing blow in their face. I would be wait, I would be surprised if they don't have all those contingency plans maybe already worked out heading into this weekend. It's just that they're not. The, what, it's what, just but, that they're not telling what, us. What, but what plan is that? So give me the scenario: if Western Michigan loses and Navy wins the American Conference, what do you, what's the scenario? What happens? Oh, if, like, well, I think if Western Michigan loses and Navy and Navy wins, I think they do go to the Access Bowl. At least I think they should. Do they wait till the Army game, or do they just announce it? No, say, I think they'll know. announce it. They'll announce it regard before probably before the Army game. I think they would in be other words, smart to announce it before the Army game. So, in other words, the Army game that will not affect the result of their. And I agree with you. I think that's what you have to do. Uh, yeah, you're kind. Of, you're kind of. In that respect, they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. They kind of have no choice but to announce it because you know, I mean, because they would look completely silly if um, if they if they had to wait for this, and then all of a sudden, you know, Navy gets shuffled down if they lose to Army, which is you know probably won't happen. But um, Army's improved this year; they beat Temple this year. Don't, don't that's true. I, I yeah, that's true. I have to take that. They're six and five. They're they're, they're an independent, five. by the way. But. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think I don't think it's going to be like there's an article that's right up right now that says if Navy wins the American, it reportedly would be a disaster for the bull system. I don't think that's the headline. I don't necessarily I think it. that's true. I, love I just think I, love it. I have, think I think there's going to be some people that are going to say, no, we need them to play that army game, which is hilarious. I, I do no, wonder. I, 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 I don't I don't watch. think you that just heard the headline. Yeah, I but, would. I, I do wonder in moving forward in the future what. If they are going to f- tell Navy, hey, can you move this Navy Army game? Because obviously, uh, this could happen again. I mean, well, this where program. Do, where do you move it? Where do you move it? Because it, it used to be you know, when they were both independents, it yeah. used to be the same weekend as the conference championships. But Navy's in a conference now, so you can't have it that weekend. Right. I, mean, I don't do you know. Move, I mean, do you move it to I mean, rivalry that, week, and and you lose the huge TV audience that you have. What Talk about, about this being idea? stuck between a rock and a hard place? How about this one? Navy Army on Thanksgiving night. Um, see the you problem. Get, the problem with TV that audience. is the problem with that is all the cadets and all the midshipmen they go home for Thanksgiving, and okay, part of right. the draw of that game, part of the atmosphere of that game, is having them all march into the stadium. Sure, no, you're and right. They're all going crazy the whole game. Right. You know every little thing that happens. You know, and and that would really put a damper on the atmosphere of that game. It really would. I think they just they should just say, look, we're just not going to care about what happens in the Army-Navy game. Navy, you're going here. Um, you know, Army, you're going there. And we'll just, we'll just hey, let's pretend, be honest we'll just about pretend that the season ended the week before. Well, well right. And, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I just worry about that's common sense and logic. I don't know if that's going to be used in this. Um, <laughs> common sense and logic? Why would they ever turn upon that when playing honestly, teams in bowl is, games? My thing is, is anybody really going to be bothered if Navy is in this bowl game this year? Like if if Navy goes to the Cotton Bowl, is anybody really going to throw up their arms and say no? I mean, come on, get out right. of here. I I hope you're right. I hope that they do what you say and not be stupid and wait till this Army game. Uh, of course, Navy because, can make it easy on everybody and win both games. Sure, they could. And they might, <laughs> but I'm just saying I don't think they need to wait an extra seven days. Not this year, anyway. Not this year because I don't think. Like it's not like there's a strong contender. Like, oh wait, if Navy loses, then so and so can go. Right. It's not that case this year. Like if Boise State, for example, let's say let's say Navy was 19 and like Boise was 20, and Boise won the Mountain West, then I understand you might want to wait. 
But this year, there isn't that case. There's not a strong contender this year. I'm sorry. With all due respect to Wyoming and whoever the hell has played in the Mountain West title game. Right. So <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I, I would just give it to Navy and say, you know what? Let's just move on and uh, congrats. And, and I think, to be honest, if I was in Arlington in the Cotton Bowl, who would you and, – and if you're ESPN, if you had the choice, Navy or Western Michigan in that game, who do you rather see? Oh, give me Navy. Yeah, so that would, that's what we would do. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick breather. When we get back, we'll talk about the Oregon uh, uh, head coaching job opening up. Uh, Could Scott Frost – yeah, that you, we're, you knew we were going to talk about that. Could Scott Frost be in the mix for the uh, Oregon uh, head coach job? Plus, we'll uh, dash upon uh, men's and women's hoops – Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Figley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on. Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Let's talk a little coaching carousel, shall we, Eric? Oh, boy. Oh, God. Here we go. Everyone's going to start panicking now. So (laughs) uh, we're recording this Wednesday night, November the 30th. Yesterday, Tuesday, Mark Helfrich got fired at the University of Oregon. Uh, why is that significant? Well, in case you've been under a, living under a rock for the past several years, Scott Frost was Mark Helfrich's offensive coordinator up until when he left for UCF. And naturally, the rumor mill starts. Should, will Scott Frost, who is quite cozy with Phil Knight, the um, founder of Nike and big-time Oregon booster, uh, would Scott Frost be tabbed to replace his former boss, Mark Helfrich at the University of Oregon. Um, interesting news that came down today. Well, I don't call this news. It's just a tweet, but it's from Bruce Feldman, who knows stuff. Uh, he says that UCF's Willie, or excuse me, USF's Willie Taggart is emerging as a strong candidate. This is Feldman on Twitter. Emerging as a strong candidate for the Oregon head coach vacancy, a source told Fox Sports. USF obviously coming off of a 10-2 and two uh, regular season, but your boy Chris Torello, Eric Lopez, uh, said uh, uh, for Spectrum Sports, said he's been told by a friend out in Oregon that Willie Taggart is not the favorite. Uh, doesn't mean they don't like him or won't hire him, but worth saying. One other report from Jeff Odom of ESPN says Oregon has, quote, reached out, end quote, to Willie Taggart about its head coaching vacancy. Um, Taggart does have prior West Coast ties with uh, Stanford. So, all that stuff about Willie Taggart floating out there in the ether. What does that mean for Scott Frost? Let, let me ask you this, Eric. What is the percentage chance that Scott Frost leaves UCF after one season to become the new head coach of the Oregon Ducks? Uh, 10%. I, I think it's 10%. First of all, I was I mean, going to say 5%. Maybe, maybe I mean, as low as 2 And you're right. I think you might be, obviously, I might be more generous about it. Um uh, Let's get this clear about this coaching stuff. A lot of this stuff is coming from agents. Yep. All right. Just like 
we went through this last week with Tom Herman. Remember the Thanksgiving night? Oh, hey, Tom Herman's close to a deal with LSU. You know where that came from? Came in from Tom Herman's agent. Who did a great job for his client who by get it, you know, you know, forcing that through and that sort of forced Texas's hand <laughs> to right. get Charlie Strong out of the way so that he could extract more money from Texas. That Herman wanted to go to Texas the entire time. More money and more say in certain things as far yep. as running this program at Texas as far as uh, equipment. As far, and, as, far it, as getting it, the boosters to sit down and shut up. Exactly. Pretty much, yes. So keep that in mind. Like my favorite one about this Oregon one is how Jim McElwain's thing just pops in out of nowhere. Oh, you know, he's from Montana. He might be. No, he's not. That's you know what that is? That's his agent who's the same agent as Jimbo Fisher, by the way. Right. Trying to float his name out there because he just won a second Eastern division. He has a new boss at Florida. It's time to pay up a pony a little bit. That's what this mm-hmm. game is about. Just like Jimbo to LSU is all, you know, oh, yeah, you know, six years, you know, reportedly, oh, Jimbo's he interested in LSU. No, it's just leverage. You always use this stuff. So keep that in mind when you see all this stuff being thrown out there. Now, to the Scott Frost thing, it's very predictable that his name is getting mentioned. He was there at Oregon. And the easiest thing to do for us media people is, hey, so-and-so was there, yep, just there. Just speculate wildly. So let's just throw his name in there, okay? And you know what? If I'm Scott Frost, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Keep floating my name out there. And I laugh, and I won't mention who they are, but they know who they are. For these people that are calling for Scott Frost to come out and say, Oh, you're not interested in Oregon right now. Do this because yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? Get out of here. Right. Let's think clearly for a second. And and the reason, and the other thing is, just like what you said, you know, Scott Frost's buyout is not very large. I think it's eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And yeah, it's not gonna. It's pocket change for someone like Phil Knight to pony up that though. So sure. But what Scott Frost could do is go back to Danny White. And say, hey, you know, and right. my name got tossed out there a couple times. Sure, uh, I did. I did just, I did just get this team to five hundred exactly. a year after going zero and twelve. So, what do you say we talk a little business? You know, it's it's sure. it's a big giant game, man. That's what it is. Let's think clearly it, it about works, it. And it works in every form of life. Where first of all, there, there are a couple things. Yes, that plus you can't address every rumor that gets thrown out there. Otherwise, you'd be talking about rumors right. for every day of your life. so Because then someone people, asks him about Nebraska, and, and then it gets They'll ask him about every job. Yeah, hey, you know, that Bethune-Cookman job's open. <laughs> Somebody throw your name. You're, you're interested? No? Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, why are we just – Rollins might start a football program. You're interested in that job hey, too? UNF, well, you know, they might be starting. Apopka, you know, Coach Darlington High School just left. Somebody's throwing your name out there because, you know, you live by nearby there, you know, whatever. I mean, they'll throw crap out there. So he shouldn't say anything, and I wouldn't say anything because I have leverage. I have leverage, and I don't have any problems, by the way, because and I, this is the other thing that's really ticking me off, is all these media people at the top giving people like Tom Herman a hard time because, God forbid, they use their leverage to their potential to get the best deal for them. And if that means leaving the school, then so be it. The same media people, they're all, oh, well, what about the poor kids that the p- coaches leave behind? They'll be fine. All right. Nobody feels sorry when the coaches get fired at, you know, at the end of the day. Who's feeling sorry for the kids at that point? So give me a spare me a, uh, on that. These I, guys I, I think I have look, a right yeah. to make a deal with whatever. And 
if I'm Scott Frost and I see my name's being floated for all these jobs, cool. Keep flowing out there, buddy, because I don't have to do a darn thing because, my, you know what, people around me are going to do it for me. So I, I don't have a problem with it. I think it's a compliment. I would take it as a compliment if you're a UCF fan and people are talking about your coach. And I don't buy into, well, this hurts recruiting. First of all, they're always going to use, you know this, they're going to use recruiting against you anyway. So even if you have, you're have, you not going anywhere, coaches are going to tell them, hey, you know, Scott Frost ain't going to be there in the long run. Just like when Bobby Bowden was there at Florida State, you know, he's not going to be here much longer, you know. That's how recruiting works. So that doesn't really make a big factor of anything. I think it uses to an advantage because Scott Frost says, you know, everybody's talking about me going to all these places, but I'm not going to, I'm not going here and I'm not going there. You know why? Because this is a great place and you should come here too. So it works both ways. Uh, but for people to overreact to every time that this coach is going to be floated out there, I mean, give me a break. Yeah, I think I, I think I had this. I'll have to go back and look at the number, but um, I, I had seen that um, over the last five years, excuse me, uh, it was something like two thirds of FBS schools had senior classes of players who were playing for at least their second head coach. Yeah. And these guys have every right to run to 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 like you said, maximize their um excuse me, leverage. And because right. remember these jobs are hard to come by, man, and well, uh, they don't last right. very long. It you know, there's me, a, there's a quick hook in college football these days. Well, let me give you right. I mean, we just saw that with Mark Helfridge. It was in the national title game right. two years ago. I'll go back to Tom Herman's example. Let's say Tom Herman decides to stay in Houston and passes on Texas. And everybody's like, oh, wow, he's great, loyal. And then he goes five and seven the next two years. You think Houston stays with him, loyal? Right. Three years? No. So there's, two, you know, it is what it is. Look um, at the guy that they had after, uh, after um, what's his name from Texas A&M left? Uh, after Kevin Sumlin left. Four years. Right. Uh, I forget the guy's name. Four years. Tony Levine. Levine. Yeah, yeah Tony Levine. Levine. Yeah. Right. So it, it happens all the time. So um, I don't think Scott Frost. And, and what's funny about the Oregon situation, if you actually read up on the or some people believe that the fans and the the, the, the AD and stuff, that they might want to just go away from the whole Chip Kelly tree, period, that they might yeah. just want to go away from it, that some believe that that's the reason why they're in where they're in right now. Um, so. Sometimes, you know, and you know this, and it happens all work of life in sports. If they fire one coach because he was too nice of a guy, what are they going to do? He's going to go after a hard ass and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So if Oregon believes that this whole thing with the Chip Kelly and the spread off and stuff has run its course, then they might just go in a different direction. And they might go for a Willie Taggart who runs a pro set who was at Stanford with Jim Harbaugh and change things up. Or they might go for a P.J. Fleck. They might just go in a completely different direction. Scott Frost was just there. Um, and it's not like, uh, you know, that all of a sudden, you know, I think Scott Frost was actually a – people got to give him credit. I think he saw what was going on in Oregon, and he got out of there. He bailed out, yeah. I, I don't th – I think he knew what was going on there as far as, you know, he was just an offensive coordinator – but he knew what was going on there. They were in decline when he was in his last year. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think – I think he's a pretty smart guy. And I generally do think that he feels that he can do some things here in Florida, in the state of Florida, coach up UCF. And look, and I said this 
when he got here. If he wins, he's going to have a bunch of opportunities. It's not like opportunities are going to close on him this year if he doesn't go leave this year or next year. You know, if you're good, people are always going to ask for you. So, and the other uh, thing is too, the better he does at UCF, the more attractive the UCF job becomes for whoever the next guy sure. is. Exactly right. And I think there's some questions too how good that Oregon job is. Yes, Phil Knight is in there, and he'll spend a lot of money for the coaches and the uniforms. But there is this thing called Eugene, Oregon, that is not the easiest place for recruits to get there. And you wonder if the bar is so high that Chip Kelly and even Mark Bellotti before that set that, you know, you look at the Pac-12 with the way it is, that may not be as easy of a place to win as you people might think. So yeah. who knows? I'm not suggesting that it's a bad job. I'm just saying it's not. I mean, like I said, I, I would be surprised if he left. I don't even think he's on the top of the list, and it's not a disrespect to him. I just think Oregon's looking might be going for a different direction. Uh, and, you know, if, if, the, if what Bruce Feldman's saying is that Willie Taggart could be a possible target, uh, that wouldn't surprise me. And here's the thing. Willie Taggart's actually, ironically, it's a good comparison. Willie Taggart was in that Stanford staff with mm -hmm. Jim Harbaugh. He then left to go to Western Kentucky, which was his alma mater. Won there. Then he got the USF job. He knows the, from the area in that Tampa area. He's won there. Now he's gone ten and two. USF fans don't want to hear this. He's probably done most of what he can do there. And remember this. Let's talk about loyalty. A year ago at this time, a lot of those – well, I don't know how many fans they have. I don't. There's not many. Uh, just look at the stands, and you saw that on TV. The, the, the fans and some even suggested the athletic director over there wanted him out of there last year. Remember when they were losing to Maryland? Yeah. And, oh, he's, he's done. He's done. And he Mind turned how that, quickly that turned around. And he turned that team around and got him to a bowl game last year. And, he, and remember – he had to throw himself in the rumor for the South Carolina job and the Miami job and all this stuff just to get a new extension, just to get an extension. So to me, I don't think he's there for the long run, and I think he's going to say, you know what, you guys didn't have my back when it was really gotten hot. I'm just going to go ahead and go to the next big job, which could be Oregon or wherever. Um, so that's just the way it goes there. So uh, I, I would not be surprised if Willie left. And I, I kind of predicted that back in August that he would leave. I thought it would be – for an ACC job, like if a Georgia Tech opened up or something like that, and maybe it still could happen. Who knows? But uh, that's how this game works. And, and I know I'm sounding like a big Tiger fan. Trust me, I'm not. I'm very agitated with him. I thought it was BS what he did at the end of the UCF game, running up the score there. And I'm not yeah. big. I'm not the guy that says, "Oh, sportsmanship and this." And you know, I, 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 I look if you, if the guy scores, you got to stop him. I get all that. My issue, and we didn't address this earlier, so I'll address it now. My issue with the last touchdown was the way it was done, which was you're going no huddle. You're going no huddle. Right. The play clock wasn't a factor, and I think both – it was kind of like, well, you can just take a knee and walk off, and you know, but you went no huddle. That, that, that was BS. That was, that was beneath them. He's better than that. It was very disappointing. And that's why UCF people have a right to be agitated with that. I, I that, look at that. I look at that, and I'm like, all right, okay, that's how you want right. to play it. We'll sure. see you again, and we'll see you again in 12 months, and see what happens so, with your new, for, with your, you know, with your next possibly, coach, whoever that might right, be. Possibly a new coach. But so back to Scott Frost. I think Scott's comfortable. He just got started here, and I, I do believe. I think he believes. I think Scott Frost wants to see what he can do here with the Florida talent, with his system. 
before yeah. saying goodbye. Don't you agree with that? Like, yeah, I, I don't agree. I, I think that one of the, the, the big thing, the big experiment here is does the Oregon system travel to the southeast? It's one thing to run it with athletes right. in the Pacific Northwest. And a lot of guys that Oregon got was actually from California. If you go in and you look. That's really the truth. Yeah. But does right. it work with in the southeast where it is where it is perceived that the speed is better? All right. Um, does it work down here? I will say this, and I and I, I I finally found the place where I wrote this. You know, sixty eight percent of schools in the FBS this year had senior classes that that were taking the field with at least for at least their second head coach. Eighty seven of one hundred and twenty eight programs. So wow. it is a war of attrition out there in terms of coaching. Um, but in terms of Scott Frost, you know, I wouldn't. I, I would not blame him one bit for sniffing around, just seeing hey, no. you know, what the lay of the land is, and even even in places other than Oregon. You know, I wouldn't blame him one bit. Um, if I, would, if I was it, in his shoes, I would do the same exact thing. But the thing. Right. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and look, if somehow I'm wrong, and if he ends up going to Oregon or whatever, I, I don't have a problem with it either. Right. <laughs> you know, Pick up the pieces and go get the next guy. That's how it works. Uh, same thing with Houston. I've had this argument with the Houston people. Get over it. Like, does it really matter when Tom Herman told you when he was leaving for Texas or not? Who cares? Right. Like, are you that naive to believe that he wasn't looking at the Texas job? Like, get out of here. Come on. Come he would have been stupid not to. Exactly. And, and, and that's the other thing. And that's the other thing with Frost. I think that, you know, six and six. OK, I really think that sort of the the, the, the Mendoza line for him is, can I get this team back to the American Athletic Conference Championship? Can I win a division? Oh, yeah, right. That's, and because that's where right. you start get, getting nervous because I think that a lot, of the, a lot of the ADs that are out there in the Power Five look at that and be like, okay, first year pretty good, but I got, a low, I got a very small sample size here. Let me see what you do developing this team in the next year. How do you develop these freshmen that you currently have? How do you do with another full with one full year of recruiting now, right? Because remember, he didn't have a full year of recruiting. Now he's had a full year of recruiting. What do those What do those kids do? Um, and if UCF does compete for an American Conference Championship in 2017, which I would not be surprised to see them do, quite frankly, especially how the schedule lines up, um, then I think we can start to get nervous. But then you also got to think about, you know, are there, is there anyone on the staff who you can promote? And then, is there anyone out there who might be an interesting person to go well, after? Well, we're getting way, yeah. The well, I know we're is, getting way ahead of that. And I, actually, I'm not. But, you know, don't think about that right now. But I don't think well, that. But you I, bring I up a good point. Yeah, you bring up a good point here. Scott Frost's value goes up more the more he wins. So why leave at six and six? Of course, and a pretty good job. It's not like you're in the middle of nowhere and you just went six and six. There are certain jobs where yes, you know, like I've always argued, like James Franklin, smart. Left Vanderbilt going seven and five because that's as good as it gets at Vanderbilt. <laughs> right, cash that into a Penn State job. I mean that if I'm Mark Stoops at Kentucky, I get the heck out of there. Now that you've got Kentucky finally to a bowl game, get the heck out of there. That's get as good as it better. gets at Kentucky. <laughs> right, but that's not the case at UCF. So I don't think the national perspective on Scott Frost is, oh, we got to get this guy right now because he went six and six this year. I think they want to wait and see what else he can do. Yeah, they want to see can ten and two. And if he does that, then, oh, he's proven. You know, that's why Tom Herman got the Texas job is because in his two years, he got him into a conference title. He beat Florida State in the Peach Bowl. He beat Oklahoma, and he's beaten Louisville. And he's a, he was a grad assistant at Texas under Mac Brown. So it was all the dominoes all fit there. What I'm fascinated about Scott Frost, 
I think everybody just assumes Nebraska's the job he wants. But in listening to him talk about it, I feel like he's a little – and I don't want to put words in his mouth. Because when the Nebraska job opened, they, people have brought that up about him in Nebraska. And he's like, well, they didn't call me when that job was available. And I feel he felt slighted by that. And why not? I'd be too if I was competitive. Well, and he's a very competitive guy. So I'm just wondering if down the road, if the Nebraska job opens, maybe he's like, you know what? You know, you, you know, uh, we'll see about that. And maybe I'm not saying he wouldn't take it, but I'm saying I don't know if it's an, it's an automatic. I could see him being interested in other jobs, maybe in the Midwest even. Uh, more than West Coast if he were to leave UCF in a power conference, obviously. All I know is that I'm going to be rooting for Nebraska to do really well every year because the more they do that, the longer Mike Riley's going to stay. So uh, right. so, so we'll, we'll file that one away. We'll see what Oregon does. And if something strange happens, then we'll maybe we'll have our first emergency podcast, Eric. What do you think? Deal. Deal. <laughs> okay. Worth it. And then I'll have like a lot of crow in my mouth yeah. for like saying no, sure, no, no shot in Oregon. Oh yeah, we'll we'll be framing this one and putting it up in the hallway. Um, <laughs> let's talk. All right, so let's talk hoops real quick. I wanted to kick off with women's basketball, um, right. real quick. They got two wins in the Thanksgiving Classic over the weekend. Saturday over Ryder, beat them by nineteen, and then an eighteen point victory over Austin P. Um, uh, wow, uh, Coach Abe, they are throttling people. They uh, have uh, of their six wins. Um, only two of them, or excuse me, one of them has been by single digits, and that was on the road at Butler. They did lose to Virginia Tech at home, which was a game that you were at, Eric, but that was a really close game that came down to the final shot. Uh, they've got Buffalo at Buffalo uh, on December the 1st. It's Thursday, and then home for Bethune-Cookman on Sunday, so that should be a lot of fun. Old rivals Bethune-Cookman coming to town, and then Gardner-Webb, and then they have a basically almost an entire week off before they get Gardner-Webb on December the 10th, so Coach Abe's team off to a very, very good start at 6-1, and one, and they've won three in a row. Playing well defensively. Teams yes. having a hard time scoring against they them. They held Ryder I feel to like 30 defensive. points, and yeah. then they held Austin like P to 43. That's impressive. I feel like their defense is ahead of the offense right now. I still think they're trying to find themselves offensively and still learning each other, so I think that makes sense. Yep. Uh, you know, they're winning games, and I think that's a positive step. Um, and try to build some confidence and build a, some belief before you head into conference play, I think, is the key for them, and uh, so far, so good. Men's basketball coming off of a victory uh, just a few that wrapped up a few moments before we started recording, uh, defeating Stetson, old A-Sun rivalry, 81-45. Uh, to 45. This is after they knocked off Seattle by 16 points on Saturday as well at the arena. That was coming off of the uh, Charleston tournament. Um, really impressive performance tonight against Stetson. Some of the highlights for UCF. Uh, B.J. Taylor, 7 of 11, 18 points, led the team. Taco Fall, uh, again, 4 for 4 from the field, 12 points, 9 rebounds. Uh, 6 and 11 boards for A.J. Davis, who's back. And uh, let's see, oh, Matt Williams had 16 points in 4 of 9 from beyond the arc. So, Eric, this team, uh, you know, right now, the Knights under Johnny Dawkins, Five and one overall, one winners of two in a row. They're at UMass on Saturday, and then they have a week off before coming back home from Maryland Eastern Shore. Which, I mean, my God, Maryland Eastern Shore! But um, impressive win over Stetson and uh, Corey Williams's team, where they held uh, the Hatters. Let's see, I'm playing to fifteen of sixty-eight from the field, twenty-two percent. Wow. Meanwhile, the Knights shot 46% as a team, 27 
out of 58. Um, this is an impressive performance, man. I, and they and they were winning, and they won the game going away too uh, later on tonight. Your thoughts on uh, on what's going right right now? I, I'm a little worried, you know, right now because and I'll, and I'll uh, hand it off to you on this. Mike O'Donnell, when he talked to us during our basketball preview show, which you can download um, on uh, via SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, talked about how the biggest problem with this team was the depth. And right now, yeah. we're early on in the season. Everything's looking real good. Starting five looks solid. The top seven in the rotation look pretty good. What happens when the attrition kicks in, when you get to conference play? That's what I'm a little worried about. We're stacking up the wins right now, and that's good. You beat, you beat Stetson by uh, uh, 35 points here in this game, or 36 points. But uh, this, I, I'm, I'm, it's only going to go so well for so long. What happens when this team hits some adversity? Well, maybe maybe I'm mean, just I'm, being negative, Nancy. I don't know. Yeah, you're definitely being negative. Come on, man. We just destroyed Stetson. You realize I was at the Stetson game last year in DeLand, and that was a nail-biter. I mean, that was a game, game that came down to the wire. They couldn't stop Stetson. So what a difference a year makes. And, and I say that, you know, with respect to Donnie Jones, who actually I got a chance. Believe it or not, I'll give it exclusive. I had a chance, actually had a chance to talk to Donnie Jones this weekend. Uh, he is scouting for the L.A. Clippers huh. in the NBA. For Doc Rivers. Correct. So Donnie's actually goes to some Magic games to scout future opponents and things like that. And so he was at the Milwaukee Bucks Orlando Magic game on Sunday. And I actually ran into him and we spoke for a few minutes doing very well. He's always been very good. Very good guy. You know, I, I know. I, yeah. I, can I echo that for a second? Yeah. I will always have the highest respect for Donnie Jones because he was he really is a true gentleman a true gentleman yeah. and i always have the highest respect for him that was that was the one part about him leaving that i was kind of sad about yeah i mean just you know it just didn't work out here some things happen i'm not gonna you know dwell on it but you know some fans have been negative on him and i don't think it's been fair uh he's a good guy i think he's gonna get back into coaching in the next year or two uh, i think he's eager to beat uh, but but you know so but that being said you know i've been impressed with coach dawkins in that let me this team is playing with a confidence they're playing discipline. They're playing uh, with an urgency. I don't think that was there at times last year. They're playing to their uh, strengths and, on the and, floor, and, too. And That's listen, the other thing, too. Yes. And and you could say, yes, we have issues from a depth standpoint. That's true. Uh, but not to single out any specific people. I also think that some of the subtractions from the roster was not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, I think that times in the last – one of the things that I think kind of bit Donnie at the end of the last couple of years, I think there was – George O'Leary, you know this, having worked there, would always use that me guy. You know, he's a me guy. You know, we don't need any of those me guys. You know, right. <laughs> he always – and I, I think there was some guys. of that. I don't want, we, I, I don't want right, Thank you. I knew you, would, I, knew, I knew you would have yeah. the, the, the thing down pat better than I can being around them. I, I, um, I, need, I need me guys. I, I, need, I don't need any me guys around here. We, do, we have we guys around here. Yes. And – I think we had some of that with the basketball program the last couple of years, and uh, I don't see that right now. And I think that's a positive, obviously. And let's let's be honest. I mean, who knows if Donnie Jones is still coaching this team if BJ Taylor was healthy last year? I mean, we kind of forget that, right? Point. It's funny. I mean, he didn't have his point guard last year. Um, in fairness, and I think we've seen, and Michael Donald said this on the podcast we talked about. I mean, I think B.J. Taylor could end up, by the time his career is done at UCF, if he stays healthy and progresses, 
He's going to be in the conversation among the best UCF players ever, and certainly in the point guard position. When I think the point guard position at UCF, certainly Mike's in that conversation. A guy that I love a lot that you covered, Ray Abelar, yeah, which needs to be brought up more often, was phenomenal. And, and the in, guy who came after him, Gary Johnson, too. Can't forget about I, him either. Yeah, uh, yes, Al, tremendous. And obviously A.J. Rumsa afterwards, the, a little bit after that, did a very good job as well at the point guard position. But I think this kid has all the tools, and I think you're seeing that, and he's making these other guys better. It's great to get Davis back. I think that's huge with his versatility. Taco's playing great. Matt Williams has been phenomenal. He's and again, shooting the lights out right now, Matt Williams. I'm so happy to now, see that for him, too. A kid that's been hurt most of his UCF career, you know? So it's not like Donnie couldn't get guys. It just didn't work out for a variety of reasons. But I think Dawkins has done a phenomenal job. I'm excited. I enjoy watching this team. Uh, I know it's just Stetson. But, man, I felt good. that It was a nice domination. Fascinating to see what they do up in UMass. Not an easy place to play. Nope. Uh, be curious to see how they handle a true road game. True road game. This is really – I mean, granted, they did play at College of Charleston on the road in the tournament. So if you want to say that's their first road game, fair. But the UMass will be tough. Uh, I'm very interested to see how they react to the the environment they're playing. I guess your second true road game, if you, if you count the Charleston game. Uh, and I'm curious to see how they come out with it. And look, yeah, you know what? Try to rack up those wins before the conference and have some confidence and some mojo going into conference play. And then you never know what could happen. So uh, I, I'm excited. Uh, and I know somebody suggested this to me, Jeff, to bring it up to you. We should do a podcast live from the arena after a game. One of these uh, during the season. Yeah, How about that? Huh? Well, I don't know. I mean, you're more of the technical guy. Let's I don't. Make you, some you phone can... calls. We'll have to. We'll have to do that. See who. See who will uh, have us around. So, let's um, see what we can do with that. Maybe that's something we could do towards uh, the new year with from sporting events, live events, some special podcasts uh, from there. So, uh, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see this team. I'm looking forward to seeing this team more now that football is kind of going more on the back burner and having the opportunity to go to more games. Um, and, and try to pull that off. I think I'm going – I know I'm going to the Miami of Ohio game coming up on the 18th, I believe, on December. Uh, maybe I haven't looked at the schedule in front of me, but I'm trying to uh, obviously juggle some things. But it's exciting, and, and yeah. I'm just pleased to see this team play basketball. And I think there's – I think if nothing else, there's optimism to see, hey, let's you know, let's see what happens with this year, and let's, let's just see what these guys can do. A couple notes to wrap up on men's basketball. They have – let's see, one, two, three, four – Five, six games left before conference play. Remember what Mike told us in the preview show? Get to double-digit wins before conference play, and things might start to look really interesting. Well, you, yep. got, you got at UMass, home for Maryland Eastern Shore, uh, home for Penn, at GW, home for Miami, Ohio, and then home for Bethune-Cookman. I think that GW game on December 15th, might be the one that determines whether or not we hit 10 wins uh, before conference play starts. And a couple notes on individual numbers, and I just wanted to throw these out because some of these are amazing. Matt Williams right now, talk about shooting the lights out. He's shooting 41% from beyond the arc, 22 of 54. But that pales in comparison to what Taco Fall is doing right now. He's 40 of 50 from the floor, 80%. Mm. 80%. That's got to be, in the words of Kenny Mayne, that's like a record or something. 
So. And he looks smooth on the court too, he right? Really what a difference. He was, he was really smooth today. I thought, yeah, and the thing that I was most impressed with, I know I said this before, his footwork within, within 10 feet of the basket, his footwork Much. is night and day this year. And that, and when you're a big man, that's what it's all about. It's how you position your body and that, and your body follows where your feet go. And he has just been fantastic down low. He's really putting on a clinic down low. So the night's at five and one. Or I know we run really long on this one, but that's okay. What uh, We're going to wrap up here by talking about, uh, well, I know we talked a little bit about what we're looking forward to in the coming week, but I did want to get this stuff in there about the uh, American Athletic Conference Football Awards. Uh, big, big congrats to Shaquem Griffin, Defensive Player of the Year in the American Athletic Conference. Quentin Flowers of USF won Offensive Player of the Year. Um, but, wow, what a job by Shaquem Griffin third UCF player to win a major football honor from the American following Blake Bortles and Jacoby Glenn, who was the 2014 uh, defensive player of the year, 11 sacks, 19 tackles for loss, 85 total tackles. And he's literally everywhere. Uh, Coach of the year, by the way, Ken Niamatololo at Navy. So I believe I had that one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then uh, also some other awards that that were passed out. Some of the all conference teams Uh, mentioned Shaquem. Uh, first team uh, all uh, AAC. He was the only UCF player on the first team, which I, um, which yeah, I, 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 surprised by that. Only one UCF player first first team all conference. Uh you know I don't know. I don't. I, hard is hard. Well, here's I mean, who on this. Here's who's on the second team: Jamias Pittman, defensive yeah. lineman; Shaquille Griffin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's see, honorable mention: Drico Johnson. Senior from Orlando on there, so um, yeah, I don't really have a big gripe there. I mean, because you I, always. I know, I'm glad the defensive guys got the love though, because they've all been great this year. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, exactly. That's would be how I would leave it like that. Yeah, I and, would agree with that. And I'm still related to the fact that Shaquem is is a junior, so he's still got one more year with him. Six one two thirteen out of St. Pete, so uh, it'll be nice having him uh, back on the defense again next year for his senior year. Although his brother is a senior, so that's kind of a bummer, but. And one more bit of uh, news to pass along. Volleyball got some awards as well, Eric Lopez. How about that, huh? Kia Bright, first team all-conference. Jayla Harvey, first team all-conference. Well-deserved both of them. Well-deserved both. I I, I can't get over how, you know, even though they didn't make the, uh, even though they they didn't get to the NCAA tournament. Jordan Thompson, by the way, your girl from Cincinnati, won uh, Player player of the Year. But uh, well, the, and Molly Alvey of Cincinnati, who really has done a great job with the Bearcats, was the coach of the year. But uh, Jayla Hervey and Kia Bright, both outside hitters, uh, first team all conference. Kia, by the way, unanimous selection uh, and well deserved on her part because she was such a great two way player. And uh, Jayla, gosh, it feels like we hardly knew her. She's already a senior. She goes out first team all uh, first team all conference. She was the straw that stirred the drink this year. For the Knights, and congrats to what, what's her players. legacy? What's her legacy? You've covered this program a lot, long, a long time, going even back to Meg Colado and stuff. Give me, give me your kind of quick, kind of legacy moment here for Jayla. I would, I would say Jayla was the most talented outside hitter that we've had, probably since, probably since we had Leire Sante Asante back in the early two wow. thousands. Due respect to a lot of really good players who we had over the time. I mean. Obviously, Aaron Campbell, who did such a great job uh, for UCF for such a for such a long time, but I mean, Jayla 
has been the total package. And, um, you know, it's a shame we didn't have her for all four years. She transferred over from uh, Middle Tennessee. And, uh, uh, but boy, has she been something, and, uh, and we're going to miss her. But, you know, Kia Bright gets to come back next year uh, for one more year and, uh, and pick up where she left off. So um, yeah, Jayla really became a really great all-around player, and I'm so glad that she gets to go out first team all-conference because she deserves it. Really I thought Pingle it. should have gotten consideration. Yeah, you know, I, I was a little bit surprised at that, too, because she's been uh, very good as a defensive specialist. Uh, I'm looking up and down. the uh, Morgan Highs of, of uh, SMU uh, was a uh, top defensive specialist on the first team all-conference. Everybody else was a right side or outside hitter. One middle blocker, Janelle Giordano of SMU as well, and then one setter was Jade Tinglehoff of Cincinnati. Uh, but I'm surprised. Only one defensive specialist on first team all conference. So, and uh, let's see, Kaylee, uh, Kaylee McHugh of Tulane and Brooke Berryhill of Tulsa were the liberos on the second team. Interestingly enough, by the way, Eric Lopez, Kaylee McHugh is, I believe, the granddaughter of Aggie McHugh, who played on the 1978 UCF volleyball team that won the oh. national title. And I think she was a defensive specialist as well. So it runs in the family. Wow. Uh, by the way, congrats to the American Conference. Two-bid league. Yeah. Uh, very Should happy. Have been three. Yeah, Temple got left out. I was unfortunate. They were on the cusp. Uh, I didn't you know, I didn't see the selection show, but I know that Temple was among the last teams out. I think UCF was among the last teams out, too, if I, uh, from what I read or something. I, Cincinnati got in. Cincinnati's actually playing in Gainesville. And then obviously SMU winning the regular season. They're playing up in Austin. They're playing AM in the opening round. But two bids. It's a big step for the American Conference. From reading, it was the most improved conference in volleyball. It finished, I think, fifth or sixth in the RPI. Uh, two bid league could have had three, as you mentioned. And I think that's exciting moving forward from a conference standpoint. And I know, uh, Jeff, from a UCF standpoint, and maybe we'll get into this more as we get closer to the holidays and kind of recap the year. Uh, I thought it was a positive year. Uh, they took some positive steps, uh, winning 23 games. And you think about it, you know, a couple of swings here and there of a couple of matches, and they might be playing this weekend. And you do get Kia Bright back. And I know there's a lot of the young talent that you like a lot mm-hmm. that uh, grew up a little bit this year that will even have a bigger role next year and for this team to take that step and get back to the tournament, right? Well, UCF finished 61st in the RPI. And to give you an idea on that, when Temple got left out of the tournament, they were 47th. Mm. In the RPI. So that's a tough pill to swallow for the Owls. Um, yes, there is a lot of really good young talent, in particular Jeannie Wesley in the middle, and really liked what I saw from Allie Sable on the outside, on that right side this year. And you're going to see a really good one-two punch next year with Allie on the right and Kia on the left. Um, Kia, and, and, you know, Kia coming off that injury that she suffered last year, um, mm. it, takes, it takes you a good calendar year to fully recover from the injury that she had. Um, And so I expect her to be back at 110% uh, next year as well. And then we know how, you know, we know how good of a recruiter Todd is. So um, he's got some talent on the bench that was, that were able to um, do some work on the scout team this year. That should be very good coming up uh, in the next few, uh, in the next few years. And then we'll see how the recruiting season goes. So uh, I think UCF volleyball really did uh, exceed expectations this year uh and like you said eric a couple swings here or there and they could have uh even gotten into the tournament 
uh, which would have, I thought have been a real uh, a real uh, bonus, I think, this year if UCF was able to do it. Of course, Todd will say, well, that's what I expect to do every year. So, um, But uh, what, what a great season for UCF Volleyball. I'm really looking forward to what they do in the spring and going forward into the um, and going forward into 2017, it should be a fun 2017 for UCF volleyball with some high expectations, hopefully. So, so uh, as we wrap up here, what are you looking forward to now, Eric? Real simple. Let's just find out where yeah. is UCF's next football game going to be at. Right. Real December simple. You want to let's go on a wreck. Let's go on record. Announcement. What? Let's go on record. What okay. do you think? Sunday night, UCF will be playing. Where? Well, I'm assuming we'll know. Hopefully, uh, they don't uh, mess this up. What do you think? Where are they going? What's your gut? What do you think they're going? Oh, boy. I am 51% to 49% in favor of the Cure Bowl. You think they end up – you think that they find a way to make it work and go to the Cure Bowl? Yeah, I think I think so. I think that they uh, – um, that, you know, they'll, they'll play the game at home um, at the – or and not at home, but at the Citrus Bowl in their old home. And uh, I think it'll be – and then the fun part will be let's see, let's see if UCF fans can sell out that game. That's going to be the next question. I will just take the opposite view just to make this interesting. I will say they end up in Miami Beach because the issue is USF, for example, played there last year, mm-hmm. lost to Western Kentucky. Memphis played the year before that. So I don't see either of those teams going there. So when you look at your options, I think it's either Temple, UCF, or Tulsa. And I don't think they, that the ESPN and the conference wants to take Tulsa to Orlando – I think it's you, and then say maybe the same issue with Temple. I think they rather have UCF go there and put Tulsa maybe here in Orlando instead. I don't, which is an easier flight. Hopefully, I'm wrong. I'm with you. I'm rooting. I'm more rooting for the Cure Bowl, and uh, hope that works out. But you know, either way, here's the best news. Regardless, we have another football game to watch. That's yep. the best thing. We and didn't have that finish above, and a chance to finish above 500. Exactly. So. All right, Eric, thanks again. And where can people reach out to you? Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter. That's where you want to follow me on Twitter there. And uh, check out Tuck and O'Neill weekdays, 3 to 7. I'll be co-hosting with Mike Tuck on Friday, this Friday, depending when you're listening. We're big Tuck and O'Neill. We're going to be previewing the conference championships. And then, obviously, we'll be break previewing the bowl games uh, next week as well. So you're going to do that. And I'll have a breakdown of the UCF bowl game as well on the Football Insider Show Monday night from Harry Buffalo. In downtown Orlando, six to seven. So look for that, uh, among other goodies. But Eric Lopez Elo is the place where you can find out everything that I am doing, uh, you know, with radio and and then the podcasts and broadcasting and, and here and on the bannerette and writing stuff and softball That's and the right. whole nine yards. That's right. Good stuff. That's right, baby. That's and you good. can and you can hit me up at Jeff underscore Sharon. Send your hate mail that way. Uh, also, UCF underscore Banneret is the Black and Gold Banneret on Twitter. Don't forget, you can look us up on Facebook as well. Just search Black and Gold Banneret. Sign up uh, for our newsletter. Uh, well, I call it a newsletter, but you can get updates right to your inbox. Anytime we put in something new, uh, it goes right to your email inbox. If you go to blackandgoldbanneret.com, you can also subscribe to this podcast, if you don't already, on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud as well. Thanks again, Eric. Catch you later, brother. Always a pleasure, Jeffrey. And thank you, UCF fans, for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you next week.